After a long, long, long wait, the boys are back. Brett Maloney, Dan Gardella, the final frame, back in action. Dan, it's been so long, man. How are you? Chopping it up Zoom style. No longer in the studio, no longer need hey, No, No need to be in the studio anymore. We've learned so much in the last year and a half. Coming from, coming from our, our respective rooms and our respective houses, it's an easier way to do it. Quality is just the same. The takes are just as bad. It's all back. It's fair. It's fair. I mean, hey, let's get right into it. People are waiting for us. So let's go. We got MLB. The World Series is happening. NFL, we're six weeks in. NBA, we just crowned a champion. College football is back and better than ever again, minus the fans. But, it's, I mean, we got to start with the MLB. World Series game one last night. Kershaw, the known playoff performances that he's had. Dude was dynamite. Ray's bats were basically nowhere to be found. And our poor Red Sox were the trending topic throughout the whole game. Yeah, the, the man that we traded away is now responsible in two separate World Series for giving the world free tacos. Now, that alone is that alone's a heartbreaker for trading Mookie Betts away from the Red Sox. But, yeah, I mean, it – Especially for taco lovers like you. Yeah, exactly. This is where it hits, it hits home, you know. Um, it's good enough to get a free taco, but to have it done by Mookie Betts – as a Red Sox, it was great. Win-win situation, but with the Dodgers – that taco is not going to taste the same when I pick it up. But no, I mean, you know, I, I think now Mookie's in a, in a market like LA where there's a little bit more marketability and the team is much better and well-rounded, similar to kind of what it was in 18 with the Red Sox. But I think there's just a little bit more firepower on both sides of the ball. So now he's getting this opportunity in the World Series and in the National League Championship Series to showcase the fact that he is – getting close to a conversation with Mike Trout. He's not exactly Mike Trout. I will not say that. I'm not going to go that high, but he's certainly the top player in that second tier underneath Mike Trout in terms of his all-around skill. And from robbing home runs to making shoestring catches to stealing bases to hitting home runs, the guy does it all. And Red Sox fans knew that, but I don't think a lot of other baseball fans really knew that to this extent. Now they're getting an opportunity to see it which is why it drives the knife further and further into Red Sox fans' hearts. Yeah, see, going off of that, two things. One, this morning I heard from Colin Coward when I was eating breakfast, which, I mean, I guess you want to call it a morning. It was like 12.30. But uh, he said that there's probably about 19 players in the MLB who have gotten 10-plus uh, year contracts or, like, contract extensions, and he said, there's only two guys I would actually give it to. He goes, it's Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. He goes, those two are on a pedestal so far ahead of everybody else in the sport of baseball. And, like, I totally agree. I mean, as you said, when he was in Boston, won an MVP, almost won another MVP, won a World Series. But he still didn't seem like he was getting – that national national attention that he got even though boston's one of the biggest markets that there is but now he's in la with the dodgers and there's just so much riding for the dodgers like if they lose this world series to the rays 
the team with the third lowest payroll in all of the MLB, like there's going to be some conversations about the Dodgers. Is it Dave Roberts? Is it the guys they have on this team? So it kind of brings up like the question is, was he just that missing piece? And you saw it last night. The guy won, guy won the game with his legs and his bat and then won the Atlanta series, which was my next point by hitting like 150. Robs two home runs, stealing bases, making all these catches, doing all the little things that go unnoticed. But now that he's on this huge stage, and especially in a time right now where people need sports, he's just excelling to the next level. Yeah, and I mean, as you were, as you bring up the, the point about Colin Coward and, and the ten-year contracts, that I was, I'm, I'm looking up, you know, the the lucrative contracts in recent memory, and I mean, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, both getting. 12 years, technically trapped was a 12-year extension on top of the two years he had left on his contract. But then after that, you got Bryce Harper, 13 years, probably not going to, you know, pan out in terms of the money value and how long. Giancarlo stands under contract through 2027 with the Yankees. Obviously, in the middle of that, he had um, he had hit 59 homers. He was an NL MVP. He kind of made some of that back in a sense in terms of the value. Manny Machado getting a 10-year deal, that remains to be seen. I personally think, based on what we saw from the San Diego Padres, that can turn out to be a great one because that left side of the infield, is it, it has the potential to be yeah, in a league of its own in so terms of dynamic. the talent, so the production. But then you go down the list. A-Rod with the Rangers, I guess it kind of panned out. Um, got a lot of value for it. Um, Robinson Cano with the Mariners. No, never, never panned out. Albert Pujols with the Angels. In the beginning, it did, but now it's just father time is getting to him. Dragging on at this point. Joey Votto, 10 years, started in 2014 under contract through 2023. I'd say that's a decent contract. I mean, in terms of the postseason production, there has been none, but he's been a really great regular season player, and when you're not making the postseason, that's all you can really gauge it off of. And then there's just a bunch of, nine years, eight years, that kind of thing. So nowadays that's what the, that's what all sports are turning into. It's the next best player to hit the market is going to reset the market in terms of value. Cause we saw it with, you know, originally it was with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Now Shroud and Mookie signed these extensions to upwards of three fifty to $400 million over a 12 year span. The only thing is, We've seen it in baseball where top two players are locked up. In football, Patrick Mahomes locked up the, you know, the mega, mega deal. You know, you can't reset the market because there are very few people that are even close to as talented as them. You can't tell me that when Sam Darnold hits the market in two years, teams are going to pay $38 million, $40 million for him. Well, look, that's what Dak wanted. Yeah, yeah. I want $40 million. But if you also look at, and I know this is, this is a shorter sample size, so they franchise tag him, right? Do you know how many yards he was projected to throw this season based on the trend that he, the, the trend he was going on? Probably like 5,800. Yeah, which would have been an NFL record in the single season. Now, obviously, that was only five, six games, so he could have very well tapered off. But he was on his way to a very good season. And the reason the Cowboys were bad early on was not because of their offense or because of Dak. It was because their defense is historically bad right now. So I would – could Dak have played his way into a big contract? Yes. But 
you can't tell me that subpar quarterbacks are going to make more than whatever the, the market is set at just because some team's going to be stupid enough to pay it or they're the next quarterback in line to get paid. This isn't, this isn't Little League. Not everybody's going to get a $39 million contract a year. It's just not how it works. You don't produce. You're not going to get that money. But some teams are going to be dumb enough to do that. Whereas if you're the Jets, and this could kind of lead into our next topic, you get the number one pick. It's bye-bye Sam Darnold. Hello, Trevor Lawrence. That is if Trevor Lawrence decides to go into the NFL after the season. So going back to baseball real quick, before you get into that topic, because I know that's like that topic right there that you just brought up is going to be literally an ongoing topic until April. But going back to baseball and you said how it's always next man up who gets paid. So after next season, so after the 2021 season, have you seen, there is about six all-star shortstops all up on the free agent market at the same time. Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Lindor, Seager, and there might be one more that I'm missing. All free agents at the same time. If you're an MLB team, you build your team through the middle. Catcher, shortstops, center fielders. Five or six all-star shortstops out on the market at the same time. You can literally pull an NFL and go from worst to first by just building out that way and continuing to build your team. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's one thing we can, we can very well see next season because you're going to have all those players. I know just the reason I talk about this is because Francisco Lindor is going to get traded. It's just, it's the way things are going. It's in the cards that, that management is not going to pay them money that they want. It's a first episode back. I'm dropping, I'm dropping a prediction bomb. No, Lindor well, out of Cleveland. But it, it's not. I wouldn't really say it's it's outlandish or out of left. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Because they, it's been pretty obvious and based on the track record, the Indians don't pay their big stars. They in fact trade them. And Lindor, if he came out and when he was asked about, are you worried about trade rumors? He said, I know the Indians never pay their big players, so whatever happens, happens. And that's the way you should go about it. Go get your money. Go get your money. It's true. I mean, you've seen it before. Any any franchise guy they've had has left the team at some point just solely because they don't they don't want them. Like they don't want to pay them. But I mean, the other shortstops too, man. Like Seager out there. Look at the postseason he's having. The dude's gonna get himself a bag. Baez, second place in MVP two years ago. Story. Like, maybe the most underrated shortstop in the game. No one talks about him just because of the Coors Field effect. Correa, granted he's got some baggage with him, but you saw what he can do in the playoffs too. The man can still hit. And then Lindor, as you said, probably the best shortstop in the game. And a dude who is, like, actually a face of the franchise type guy, does all the right things, does nothing. Nothing wrong. Literally a whole guy that you can build a team around. Yeah. So it I just mean, builds like it builds the question of like what because it I'm thinking of it in this way, like the season ends for the MLB next week. Postseason is two two on, one off. So the season ends next week. Free agency starts after Thanksgiving. Like, I think 
to the World Series, that's when they can start talking to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, like, it starts right after Thanksgiving, like, the ability to sign. It just brings up the question for me, like, the offseason is going to be crazy, and, like, especially in terms of trade rumors, because, like, teams are either going to want to free up cap space or try and take advantage of teams who know that they don't have the resources to resign these guys like a Lindor and try and make a big time splash and go win yourself a ring next year because you've seen these things happen and you've seen teams feel the pressure of not being able to re-sign them, i.e. the Red Sox. And then you settle for a trade, which potentially, and then the guys that you traded him for have to live with these comparisons and just living with the fact that you were the one traded for the franchise guy back. So it's, it's just going to be a wild, wild off season. Yeah. And I mean, two thoughts on that. First, nobody's going to get the amount of scrutiny that the Red Sox are going to get because nobody, like I said, nobody's remotely close to the talent that Mookie Betts has. So, you know, if the trade away Lindor, you know, that it, it, it happened, you know, it is what it is with that. You know, we saw with, with Clevenger, they did get a, a decent haul, maybe not to the fans' expectations, but they did get a decent amount back. I mean, they, Josh Naylor did pretty well in the postseason. Had I believe he had five or six hits in the what the two games that they had. I think he had five hits in two games. Yeah, you know, and and so that's promising. They're gonna get. They get. I want to say they got at least three major league ready players now with two additional prospects. So if you're going in terms of numbers, it's good. Um, when the trade, when that trade first went down, I was thinking that they were going to get one of the top prospects or something like that, and maybe an additional player or two. Um, but they're going to have to make that decision. Nobody's going to get scrutinized as much as the Red Sox are based on what they did with Mookie Betts, but we may see a lot of trades. My prediction will be that we'll see some teams based on the success of the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to see a lot of teams cutting back on payroll, especially given the times when, you know, money's going to be a little difficult to make until fans are back in and things get back to normal, where you may see some teams say, we're going to decline your option. You know, you're not, you're not worth $13 million a year to us or whatever the number is, where other teams are going to say, we'll drop that money for you. And teams are going to be cutting payroll to a point, like kind of like the Red Sox did, where they reset the luxury tax and did everything they had to do. And the owners are still making millions and millions of dollars. So I don't know. It could go one of two ways. You can see a lot of teams being big spenders. You can see a lot of teams being big savers, I guess. No, I, I know what you mean. I feel like in that situation where some want to spend, some want to save, it's kind of going to be like this postseason was like a good taste. Like you could probably think like, okay, the Braves are going to go out and probably spend some money on – an arm or two more because they are literally right there knocking on the doorstep. The Padres are probably going to go and get some more bullpen arms because again, they, they were competitive with the Dodgers. I mean, they lost the series in three games, but they were competitive with them. Cody Bellinger doesn't make that catch in game two to Rob Tatis. Who knows what goes on from there? And then like even teams in the AL, like, the White Sox make the postseason for the first time in however many years it was, 12 years, I think. Are they just going to want to sit there and just like hope that they can make it again? Or are they going to want to go and continue to get this roster better 
especially in a division like the AL Central where things can change in the blink of an eye in that division. And then even well, in the West. Think about it before you even go to the West. Like the Central, it used to be run by the Twins and the Indians and it was everybody else. Now the Indians are going to be regressing because they may trade Lindor. They already traded away Bauer and they traded away uh, Clevenger and they kind of cleaned house a little bit where they, they weren't so much buyers anymore. They were more of trying to retool while still staying relevant. The Twins are obviously the most talented team in, in that division, um, but they're a regular season team. The White Sox, they were going to win the division, and then they struggled the last week of the year and ended up five of the last six games. Yeah, they struggled down the stretch of the year. So they were in a great position to even win the division. And they, they fired Renteria, which some would call it questionable, but my thinking was they're probably going to find some manager. Well, did you see the report on that? No, I don't think We're so. We're looking they, – um, the GM or the owner. I, they were looking for somebody that was kind of resembled what, like, Alex Cora did, right? They were looking for a championship-level coach or manager, I should say, who has been there before. Basically, for me, like, they're attacking A.J. Hinch. The guy's coming off his suspension, went to the World Series, what, two out of the last three years he was the coach of – the Astros mm-hmm. knows the American league, what it takes to win in there. Like he'd be the perfect guy for them. And like, it's a kind of like the same team than what he started with, with the Astros, young guys who have promise looking to take that next step towards stardom and superstardom. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the biggest thing is, and this was my thinking when I saw that Renteria got fired was, they're going to find somebody that can appeal not only to the young players, but the Hispanic players. Because if you look at that team, it is very much made up of young Hispanic players from Eloy Jimenez, Encarnacion, um, Yolmer Sanchez, Yasmani Grandal. Um, yeah, Luis Robert. Like, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of Hispanic players on that team. So, kind of – I wouldn't say it was like what the Red Sox did in 18, but they had – Fairly young players, some Hispanic players from Bogart's Endeavors and um, Christian Vasquez, like guys that were, you know aren't from the United States. And you bring in a, a manager like Alex Cora, who's from Puerto Rico, kind of brings more of an understanding of what it's like. That's where the chemistry meshed. And with the Red Sox, they were obviously one of the most talented teams that year, but they also the chemistry made them that much better. And I think that's probably what they're going to do. Hopefully, they can if they find it in AJ Hinch, they find it in him, and he obviously has a track record. Uh, whether it's credible or not, he has it. Um, so I think it would be a good hire for them. But um, whoever they go with, they gotta hope that they can mesh with this young group because they're going to kick the manager out before they do anything with that young core. That's true. That's true. All right, two more things about baseball, real quick. One, sticking with the managers. Is Cora coming back to Boston? Oh, yeah. It's it's obvious. I mean, they're at least – I'm going to say they're going to make a run at him, but I don't think they can really walk to him because the way that it was set up, and it's so obvious that they're going to try and get him if he doesn't, you know. Because Ron Renneke, who took on everything from when he first started, the the cheating scandal, even though, I mean, it really wasn't that much of a finding – 
he goes through this unprecedented season, has a rough season, obviously, given everything that went on during the field, depleted pitching staff, lack of production at the plate, the list goes on and on. But they don't bring Renneke back, and they don't bring their bench coach back. Now, who is the bench coach under Alex Cora? Ron Renneke. So you keep everybody else from that 2018-2019 team. You don't bring back the manager. You don't bring back the bench coach. That seems a little fishy, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. So, yes. I think – do I think Renneke may not come – you know, someone was saying, well, they're not going to fire Renneke and then bring back his bench coach. No, but Alex Corey is going to get hired. He's going to try and get Renneke back on the staff, which I think they would. So, the, if, if they aren't making a run at Alex Cora, then they threw a smoke screen at everybody who looked at this, that report very closely. Yeah, if they, don't, if they don't get Alex Cora, I think that there's probably only going to be, like, in my opinion, like two guys I'd really want. And I'd want to go the route that we went with Cora, to be honest. The player, not much coaching experience, but can just relate to the players. And I would have to go with the two guys I would want if it's not Cora. Obviously, Veritek's going to be one of them. Everyone, everyone likes that hire. But the other one for me, and you've seen his names in managerial candidates, uh, candidates before, is Mark Kotze, man. I like that one. Played for the Red Sox for a stint. Um, good. I think he's had some advisory roles. He's been like yeah, a been, he's been with like the Giants and A's in some sort of role. Yeah. So another guy that that is around it. Um, another, I guess, player turn coach that you could do, and it's more internally is Jason Veritek. Yeah, that's what I said too. Nobody, nobody, nobody knows the core values of the Red Sox better than the the guy, the captain for many, many years with them. So I don't think they're going to have a hard time finding anybody to replace and fit fit what their team is looking for because you. The team is still fairly young, talented. The left side of the infield, at least, with Bogart's endeavors is solidified for, I want to say, at least another two, three years while Bogart's is locked up, endeavors is in arbitration. Then you have, at second, you don't really know what you're going to do with, with uh, you know, you, if you're going to put Michael Chavis there, if you're going to have bring Jose Peraza back, who was really performed below expectations. First base, you put Chavis there. The outfield, Jackie Bradley Jr. may not come back. Really, the only solidified player on the outfield is Alex Verdugo, because I don't know what they're going to do with Andrew Benintendi after what they did in 2020. Um, so there are a lot of holes, a lot of questions, but there's a lot of talent. The farm system's good. They already are trying to pull for Bobby Dahlbeck's probably going to get this first baseman job. Tristy Cassius is probably not too far behind. You know, you're going to have a lot of talent coming up in the next couple of years to experiment to see what fits again. Because the Red Sox are very good at developing homegrown players because we saw with, I want to say, at least five or six of, of the eight position players in 2018 were homegrown guys. So they uh, can do it. Mookie, Jackie, Benny, Devers, Bogarts, Vasquez. Um, that's, yeah. that's it because – uh, Holt wasn't, and then 
Mitchy Two Bags wasn't. So yeah, and Kinsler and JD wasn't either. No. So I mean, yeah, they they can do it. Red Sox fans know it just takes time. You really think about it. 2013, they win the World Series. 14-15, they were fourth or fifth place. 16-17, they cut. They have the higher expectations. 18, they win. 19, they kind of go down. So it's like this roller coaster of like, well, they'll get back, but then they also go back down again. So, you know, they're just gonna. We're just gonna have to wait. We're gonna have to endure it and and see what happens. All right. Last thing. Was last night like a tale of what we're gonna see for the rest of the series? Is it just gonna be a Dodgers steamroll every single night, or are we actually gonna get a series? Personally, I see I see Dodgers in five. Um, I know tonight I'm pretty sure it's gonna be a bullpen game. So Gosselin for them starting versus Snell. Yeah, so you're gonna get Gosselin. You're probably I don't know what they're going to do with Dustin May because in game seven, they pitched him for an inning and then they went to Gonsolin. So uh, I see maybe the Rays bounce back tonight, but I just think the offense right now for the Dodgers is clicking more, not so much in terms of power, 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 but executing on situational hitting, which is, has been, was, it was important for them in game seven of the NLCS with, you know, Will Smith gets a two-run single to tie the game, and then they kind of just keep it close enough. Cody Bellinger has to go ahead home and rest of history there. Yesterday, they just do the little things, you know, stealing bases, advancing on, advancing on wild pitches, Mookie scoring from third on that grounder to first. You know, it's just those, like, IQ things that just pop out, um, which and it makes it just makes me think the Dodgers, they're obviously more experienced in the World Series and making a deep run here. But they also have more expectation. There's no real celebration if they win. It's more of a you met the expectation. The, the, the Rays are playing with house money here. So, but I still think the Dodgers go in fives. Yeah, originally I said I'm rooting for the Rays. But originally I said Dodgers in six. And the thing that scared me the most was – if the Rays can't get one of the first two games with Glass now and Snell pitching, it's not going to be pretty because Bueller's going in game three. And I really don't see that guy losing a game. He is, no. so, he is so electric on the mound. Where And if that puts you up 3-0 and like you just practically have no, no chance at that point. And I know the Astros just took the Rays 3-0 to 3-3. But did they win? No. It's so difficult to win four straight games. Yeah, I think I – think, uh, Which basically means I'm considering today a must-win for the Rays. That's fair. I mean, I would say the same thing. Going down 2-0 with Bueller going in game three is tough. That's a tough – you know, it's essentially like you're getting punched in the mouth and then you got to, like, respond almost immediately. And that's just tough for teams to do. Because even in this bullpen game, we say bullpen game, so – Oh, their arms are going to get tired. You know, it's this. This is a game that you can really make an impact. You can go Gonsolin to Dustin May to Julio Urias, and that can cover your game. You know, Urias was great in Game Seven down the stretch. I think it was the last three innings or last two yeah, innings. Covered innings, three innings, perfect ball, nine up, nine down. And he know, and he knows his role. You know, it's one thing to have a starter go into the bullpen and not be familiar with it. 
and gets hit around or can't find his groove. But Arias, man, he can start. He can come in in the middle innings. He can come in in the back end. Like, he knows how to prepare for each role. And he does it so well where you can, you know, Dave Roberts can go into it saying, we're going to get Gonsolin to retire, get 12 outs for us. And he could only get, end up going through two innings. And then, all right, Dustin May. If he doesn't work, all right, Arias, what's up? And then that's when you scratch the surface of their actual bullpen. So you really don't get to their bullpen until you go through three starters first. So, I mean, they if the Rays think they're building momentum, Dave Roberts could just be like, all right, next man up, and they're just as talented. So this is a must win. I think it really is because if you're the Rays, going down 2-0 is just – it's not good for your psyche. No, not at all. I mean, luckily they got Snell going. Hopefully he was, he was really good in the Astros series. So hopefully he can give you something because – if he struggles and they got to go to that bullpen early again, it's it's doomsday for them, man. Like I don't I don't know how else to put it. Like if they if they can't get this one, it's as we both said. I mean, putting Buehler on the mound in the game three situation, it's not good. It's not going to be good for them. Yeah, it's an uphill climb. That's the best way to describe it. It's true. It's just like, especially for the Rays, like they got to get those bats going, man. Like they haven't, the bats haven't been good the whole postseason. You take out a Rosarina and then games from a few good games from Margot, they're pro- they're hitting like one hundred as a team. Yeah, I mean they they can't. They are they are exactly what baseball analytics believe now, which is the homer or the strikeout. They don't they don't really produce base runners it's just they kind of go for the power and it's worked so far and you know uh rosarena has been the the spark plug for that he's i think he's up to seven homers now it's the rookie record all that kind of stuff but they can't get three singles in a row to put a run on the board they can maybe get two but they can't get that that situational hitting they can't get it the Dodgers have been here before. They've been deep in the postseason. The same guys are there with, you know, one through nine, essentially. You can go through. I remember when we were thinking, you know, really the only glaring hole for the Dodgers lineup was their catcher back in the day where they were going through a bunch of guys. Now Will Smith comes up with big hits in the NLCS. He has the big homer in game five. He has the two-run single in game seven. So now you're thinking there's really no weak link in their lineup where you can get to this part of the lineup and you can get an out. And then you even go on their bench and you get Kike Hernandez up and he can hit a 400-foot nuke off the bench. So you really can't get an easy out with this Dodger lineup. So you got to jump, jump on top, get an early lead, get some confidence, and take it out by out. Because the minute you look, you look through one inning, that's when the Dodgers are going to put up a crook, crooked number. I couldn't agree more. So, do the Rays win tonight? I'll say, I'll say they sneak one out. I'll say it'll be, a, it'll be a 4-1 win. Blake Snell goes six. Bullpen gets the last nine innings. I was going to say Rays 5-2. I could see – I'm going to say Snell goes five and you have the lead at that point and then you just 
shuffle out those four guys in the back end, Fairbanks, Alvarado, Anderson, and Castillo. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the Dodgers' swagger tonight gets to them a little bit. They struggle. Snell has his good stuff. And Kevin Cash learns from his mistake yesterday of leaving Glass now in for too long, goes to his bullpen with – goes to that stable – and gets the big outs that are needed, and they end up tying it. So I'm going to go 4 1. Yeah, I'll say raise 5 2, 5 3, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. All right. We are now a third of the way through the NFL season. And man, do we have some things that are beyond surprising? The Bears are 5 and 1 with Nick Foles. Sheriffing them. I, I, yeah. I mean that. That's it. Yeah. They, <laughs> what? I mean, there's really no good way to describe it. It just it it's happening. They I are- literally, I literally remember we're sitting here watching Red Zone Week One, and we're just talking about like the season as a whole. And I'm like, you know. Justin Fields is going to look great in a Bears uniform next year as the starting quarterback. God damn, they're about to pick 29th in the draft. Yeah, they, uh, for some reason, and, and that, first, that first week, they had no business winning it. That DeAndre Swift had a touchdown in the breadbasket because <laughs> he dropped it. So there's one. Next, they play the Falcons, who, as we know, get out to that big lead, and all of a sudden, Nick Foles comes in, benches Mitchell Trubisky, and comes back there. So there's already two wins that they have no business winning. No business at all. But sometimes sports is about the breaks that you get. So they're 5-1. and one. They were top of the division. Not saying they have a lot on their back in terms of the Packers. The Vikings, no. Lions now. It's a two-team race for the division, but the Packers aren't going to go away. Aaron Rodgers looks human for the first time against Tampa, but that's a really good defense. Aaron Rodgers still has Jordan Love on his back. He's going to come back, I think, this week and have a big week. And the Bears are really going to have to – they got the breaks early. Now they actually have to start putting themselves in better positions to win football games. Yeah, I mean, they're – they're just one of like the the surprises so far. I mean, you got the Texans finally canning Bill O'Brien. Finally, after people have been begging for it for however long it's been, honestly, at this point, you got the Colts playing really well. Leading that, the Titans are still undefeated. The Steelers are still undefeated, and you got teams like the Bills through the first four weeks who looked invincible and now have come back to life. But, and then you see last week, the Patriots lose a game to the Broncos. The team didn't even score a touchdown. It's so it's, it's hot and cold. It's hit or miss, you know? Um, but I think this is also just a result of this is what is happening when there's no preseason. Some defenses are just really, really bad. Like the Vikings went all in on Kirk Cousins twice, and their defense can't get a stop. 
We already talked about the Cowboys a little bit. Their defense is historically bad at this point. So at some point you hope that they turn a corner, but like you said, we're a third of the way into this. We're getting closer to the halfway point. It's not getting better anytime soon right now. So those two teams need to figure it out or they're going to be within the top 10 drafting in the summer. So you brought up, you brought up the Vikings. And this is going to lead into, obviously, the conversation of conversations in the NFL now. If you're the Vikings and you're drafting in, they're what, one in five? Yeah, they're on bye this week. They're one in five. Do you start evaluating? I feel like you got to be evaluating at this point, like, yeah, Kirk won us a playoff game last year, but is he really the guy who can take us to the next level? And, like, especially now in the NFL, we're in the era of mobile quarterbacks. Kirk's mobile enough, I guess. Put that in air quotes. He can avoid some rush, but nothing crazy. If you're looking at it and you're like, all right, we're currently slotted to pick third in the draft, like – could we be in line to draft Trevor Lawrence? Uh, I don't know if I would go that far because I, I genuinely think the Jets are going to go 0-16. <laughs> um, I genuinely think that. Um, I, I, I think they will evaluate it, but the problem is he's tied down right now. He's got 30-plus million. He's, like, he's, I believe this may be his last year, or maybe he just signed. He just re-upped. Um, but – it's, it goes back to what I said earlier. You're, gonna, you're paying these guys 30-plus million dollars because you need a quarterback that is experienced, I guess, and he just performs below expectations. All right, he won you a playoff game. You have a great running back in Dalvin Cook. When you he's know. healthy. When he's healthy, yeah. That's, the, that's obviously the big thing. So, like, what do you do? You're handcuffed. No team's going to take that contract. All the bad teams are just going to, you know, hope to get in that top echelon of draft picks this year, grab a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, and stay cheap. Go with an unproven guy that you just drafted. It gives you five years to test them out without having to spend too much at the quarterback position. So the Vikings are kind of – they're handcuffed. They, don't really, they can't really do much. They can, they can evaluate all they want. But no team's going to take it. They're not going to buy him out. They they can't do any of that. So yeah, they definitely can't buy him out. They're one of the teams that's in a very tough position right now to improve or expand because you have an unproven quarterback that you gave thirty plus million to because he won you a playoff game. Yeah. See, them in the Falcons to me are in like the weirdest spots because you look at it. And you like I'm looking at it specifically in the case of them where they would be drafting this prospect who has been classified as the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Those two teams, man, those are the two best fits for that guy. You throw him in Atlanta, he's got Julio, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst, Todd Gurley. You throw him in Minnesota, he's got Justin Jefferson, Thielen. Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph, Dalvin Cook, Madison. 
God, like what more can you ask for? But the problem is the other side of the ball, they can't get a damn stop. Yeah, so like, they- you're hurting that guy because he's just going to always have to be behind and coming to try and win a game late in the fourth quarter, having to rally his team. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always the, the backside of it. And hopefully you take the money that you would save by drafting Lawrence or, or Fields and you put it toward your defense. Because obviously, as you said, there's, there's no, there's no hole on the offense. There's just a, gaping hole on the defense so yeah that that's those two options are great they have a lot of great offensive weapons but like you said they just they can't get the stops when they need there's some of the high scoring offenses but they're also some of the highest scoring defenses too so yeah I, I agree with you I think um I think we'll have to see what goes on and obviously what the draft order looks like because a lot can happen over the next 10 weeks nine weeks um, so it's interesting, you know, and, and then obviously I saw something, I think Roddy White said it. He, oh, yes, yes, yes. If, if, the, if the Jets go 0-16, Trevor Lawrence should just go back to Clemson. I don't know. In all honesty, what makes us believe the Jets aren't going to go 0-16 or 1-15 again? That's true. Unless they clean house, which they, they're going to do. They're not going to have much cap space because they invested so much in Le'Veon Bell, which is now dead cap, in C.J. Mosley, who battles injuries all the time. Their rookies and, and up-and-coming guys are always injured. Sam Darnold, we're starting to debate whether he's really worth the next contract he's going to get. Like, what part of that team is positive? Mm, nothing. So, so do the Jets – if they got the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence doesn't go. Do you take Justin Fields and not worry about the quarterback position? That just kind of seems like you don't really know what to do. So there's so much that's going to happen over as oh, we yeah. get. And like, obviously, it's all speculation because, as you said, there's still 10 weeks left. Like, teams can rattle off wins, teams can lose games. Like, we said the Bears, like, watch, they could lose freaking nine of the last 10 and go six and 10 and be drafted in the eight slot compared to 28 right now. So like, there's so much left up in the air to figure out, but when you boil it down, you've seen enough football so far in the first six weeks where you have some sort of an understanding of, okay, the jets are terrible. The giants are terrible. Atlanta's defense is terrible. Minnesota's defense is terrible. Then you have other teams like Cincinnati who have one win, but at the same time, you could easily flip that and they could be four and two compared to one, four and one or whatever they are. So there's just still so much left to be played. And like, I actually think like right now, I think the Bengals would be drafting and like, the four slot, I want to say. Um, and honestly, in this case, like if you're the Bengals, like you would like that because they can go and draft the offensive lineman from Oregon, uh, Penny Sewell. You draft him, and now your offensive line is so set for Burrow going forward. Then you have teams like Washington again, 
Miami is going to have probably two top 10 picks, even though they're three and three right now. There's so, so, so much left to be figured out, but it's just always fun to speculate what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there, uh, there are a lot of teams that Trevor Lawrence is such a can't miss prospect that, you know, it's good. It, it, the biggest question is going to be who's going to get the number one pick and what their situation is going to be. If the Jets somehow don't get the number one pick and, you know, the Bengals get it or the Dolphins get it, what are they, are they going to Josh Rosen it and trade it or, or trade their quarterback? Or are they going to trade the number one pick? What happens? Because there are a lot of, there are a lot of teams that have stable quarterback situations or situations in which they have at least two or three more years before they even have to make that decision. So it just all depends on how things come, how they uh, transpire, how they come out. And then you'll have to see what it looks like and what the draft order is and who's picking when and possible trade. We're going to see a lot of trades, mock trades on draft night or up until draft night, because there's going to be so much uncertainty in terms of who has a number one pick and what they're going to do with it. Yeah, it's – I've, like, I can't even remember. Like, the Andrew Luck days, because he's been the name that's been thrown around with Lawrence, that was just, like, such a given that the Colts were going to be so bad. Manning was done there, and, like, he was going to go to Indy. And then RG3 bursted on the scene, and he went two to Washington, and they both succeeded. But, like, this – this time around, it's like, okay, Lawrence is so good and has been so good, and they've known this, that there's, like, literally going to be teams fighting to get that number one slot to pick him. If, like, as you said, the Bengals get the number one pick. Why not? Just drafted Burrow at number one. He's shown you enough where he can be successful in this league why not just trade back to pick three for a team who's going to give you their third pick and probably another solely just to get up there to draft this guy? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just think we're going to have to see how things turn out, um, but it'll certainly be interesting as we go throughout the season and the other crazy things that are going to happen with it. All right, moving away from Trevor. Just talk like talking about the NFL as a whole. Like, is there any player team that's really like surprised you and or disappointed you? Well, you got to look at the Titans. I mean, obviously, everything that they've been through so far this season with breaking calls and having a bunch of players get COVID and all that. And they still just find ways to win behind Derrick Henry and, and Ryan Tannehill. You know, you talk about quarterbacks that you don't expect to do much. And here he is getting MVP consideration through the first six weeks of the year. That's something most people would not have guessed. But they've just been, they found ways. They found ways to win. Derrick Henry is still a beast. I just don't know how you could tackle him. Just, the way he's built and the way he moves, I, I just don't know how you can tackle him. Coming off of 200 yards, another win. 
the it just keeps going. I'm not going to say that I didn't expect them to be successful, but I didn't expect them to be this successful. Also, given everything that they've gone through through the first six weeks with schedule changing and who they're going to play and the time to prep, it's all been just up in the air. And they've still found ways to put a product on the field that's that wins games. And you look at that division. You got the Jaguars, the Colts, the Texans. None of those teams are going to give them a run for their money in the division. They're going to make the playoffs. They literally have to win maybe three more games, and they are pretty set because I don't think any team other than the Titans is going to win more than, I'll say, eight games. And that's only because they're going to be playing each other and beating each other up. And the Titans are going to beat up most of those teams in the division. They may drop a couple, but they're the real deal. I think they are among that, that line of teams that can compete and come out of the AFC. Yeah, they're definitely there, up there. I mean, I still think when it all boils down, at this point right now, the AFC is still going to go through Kansas City. Like, regardless – of what goes on, it's still going to go through them. And, yeah, Pittsburgh's looked really good. Baltimore's going to be there. Lamar's still going to prove it come playoff time, but they're going to be there. Who knows what's going on in Buffalo now? I mean, they've looked like a total different team the last two weeks compared to what we saw the first four weeks. You know Belichick's going to figure it out, going to get them to the playoffs most likely as a wild card. But – even looking on the other side in the NFC, like you got Seattle who's looked fantastic. Green Bay, I know they had a slip up last week against Tampa, but they've looked good. Tampa looks good. That defense looks phenomenal. You got the Bears, as we've talked about, that defense is great. And then just other teams still like hanging around the Cardinals, the Niners. There's so much to go on the Saints. Like there's so many teams that are there, but to me, it just feels like Kansas City, especially now signing Le'Veon Bell, is just one step ahead. Yeah, I mean, and there's been so many other, like we feel like we haven't really seen some of those teams that you mentioned at their best. I mean – it's funny, Bruce Arians was on the Dan Patrick trip today, and he was saying that with their offense, they were just scratching the surface. They haven't even gotten to their full strength, essentially, because Chris Godwin's been in and out of injuries. Mike Evans has had ankle problems. You know, like, they really haven't had the full set of guys. So that's a team that you want to watch for as they get healthy. Godwin had a, had a decent game last week, but it was mostly defense, so they didn't have to worry about the offense that much. The 49ers, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has been injured and then his performance has been up and down. George Kittle came back from injury. He's been great the past three weeks. Um, You know, you got a bunch of guys there that, once again, haven't really been consistently playing because of injury. So, I mean, the Saints are good. Drew Brees has the question marks of if his arm is what it once was, but he's always kind of been a short field kind of guy. so, yeah, I think the NFC certainly has more parity. But going back to your first point, I like the Titans, but 
it still goes Kansas City and then Baltimore. You know, Baltimore scored 20-plus points in, I want to say it's 19 or 20 games now in a row. That offense is just so flawless and seamless with Lamar Jackson, and there's so many different ways that they can beat you, offensively at least, that I like Tennessee, but it's probably those top three teams, and it obviously still goes behind the $500 million man in Patrick Mahomes. So you liking Tennessee, do you like them enough right now where you could say that you would give the MVP to Tannehill? No. I would probably – I don't even I – would, I would give the MVP to Derrick Henry before I gave it to Brian Taylor. My MVP is in Seattle, man. Yes, once again, I would give it to, to Derrick Henry before Tannehill, but I would not give it to Derrick Henry right now. I still think Russell Wilson is – Yeah, that guy's on a new level. But it also seems like everybody's saying, oh, he's having a breakout season, but he always does this. Every year he does it, but he plays in the Northwest. He's always got the 4 o'clock game. Not many people are paying attention. They're looking at his fantasy stats, and he's a great fantasy quarterback year in and year out, but nobody – pays attention to him that much. They don't get the prime time game for some reason. You know, their receiving core of Lockett and DK Metcalf is great. Chris Carson has established himself as a really great running back. They're right now in line to possibly sign Antonio Brown. I just you saw know? Yeah, they're expected to pursue him once like he, that, the eight-week suspension's up. And, and obviously we saw this with Antonio Brown two years ago when he was with the Patriots for a couple weeks and all like we don't, I'm not expecting him to come in and be the, the Antonio Brown of old, but just adding him to your receiving core is just another problem a defense has to worry about. So they're so fundamentally sound. They're so good with the football. I think Russ maybe has one pick so far this year and he's thrown for, he has more five touchdown passing games then he does interceptions. Like, that alone just shows you the production and the efficiency that he has. So, yeah, I would go with that too. But in Tennessee, I think Derrick Henry is uh, – he's continuing to do something special. He's on track right now to win the rushing title again and coming off of a 200-yard game, confidence is probably sky high with him. It's funny that you say, though, that Russell Wilson does this year in, year out, and still – people call this a breakout season because I was saying last year that I thought he should have won the MVP. Like the things he does on the field are just so special. And the term for it was most valuable player. Where would Seattle have been without him? Where would they be this year without him? They don't have the Legion of Boom anymore. None of those guys are there. The secondary is taking hits. They're giving up their yards. You saw two, two weeks ago, Minnesota had him beat. Mike Zimmer tries to get cute. And the guy, Russell Wilson, goes down the field and beats them. And he literally said on the sideline, he goes, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. They go to overtime. He drives the field. They win the game. Like, the confidence level of him now, is at such an all-time high, and people are finally just realizing how good and how special this man is. Yeah, I mean, 
which is crazy because he's been in the league for however long now. Since and 2012, people are, the same year as Luck in them. So he's just now getting his respect, which is crazy to think, but he certainly deserves it for sure. It's yeah, it blows my mind just how little people actually respected him. And I know the talk originally was he won that Super Bowl because of the defense. And yes, the defense was great. And they just absolutely bull rushed the Broncos in that Super Bowl. But the guy's been doing it. And now he has great receivers. But before him, the guy was putting up these numbers with bottom of the barrel type guys. Yeah, no, I mean, he's just proving that he can win in any situation. Defense, no defense, receiving core, no receiving core. You always see him in the playoffs. That's what matters at the end of the day, you know. And it's going to continue for a lot longer because I think fans are just now getting to see exactly what he is capable of doing. And hopefully this MVP year continues and he can grab the hardware and maybe then people will finally start recognizing just how good of a quarterback he is. All right, before we wrap it up, you got any – sort of predictions or something that you're looking forward to for this week in the NFL? I'm going through the, the, the matchup this, for this week. You got a Sunday night game of Brady against the Raiders. Monday night, you got Saints and Bears. Do, do the Jets get their first win? Like no. anything. No, my here's here's my story. Here's what I'll say going off of this. Little Sunday afternoon. Okay. Coming off of their twenty one point collapse. I won't even say collapse. Just after being spotted twenty one points by the Indianapolis Colts and losing. Joe Burrow and the Bengals continue the downward trend of the Cleveland Browns in the Battle of Ohio this week. So Bengals over Browns. That's what that's what I'll go with. I think I think that they can you know they're sneaky good. You know, I think Joe Burrow just makes a lot happen with what he's got there. Tyler Boyd is now the number one. AJ Green recognizes he's kind of the number two now, but they still got talent. You know, Joe Mixon is great in the backfield still. Um and the Higgins, Browns Higgins has been great too. And, and the Browns have just been so up and down where they get blown out by the Ravens opening week, rattle off four straight, and then just have an awful game this past week. Baker Mayfield gets benched or hurt or whatever you want to call it. Like, offensively, it just it, – it, you got to start thinking at what point is it Baker Mayfield's fault that this offense is not clicking on a consistent basis. Because what more do you need around him? Austin Hooper and David Njoku are great tight ends to have. You have Jarvis Landry and OBJ as your top two, you know, receiving core. You have a typically dynamic backfield with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Obviously, Chubb is injured. But still, Kareem Hunt as your main running back is a pass catcher. He can run. He can do everything. So what more do you need on the offensive end? And why are you only putting up 14 points a week? 
Why are you only averaging less than seven second half points? That goes back to the quarterback. It's def- it definitely raises a question, yeah. It's And as you said, like you said it perfectly, it's so like hot and cold, hit or miss. Because you said those four weeks, they looked like nothing, nothing could stop them. Miles Garrett is second, everything in sight. Like Baker's lighting it up. They're running for 200 yards a game. And then last week they lay an egg. So I don't really know what to think of them anymore. Again, like it changes week to week with them. For me, the thing I think that we're going to see come Sunday, and I don't even know how bold you could call this, is another Cowboys loss. I think the Redskins are going to beat them. But that's just like two bad teams going at it. But like it just seems, and we've seen the reports after Monday night, like the players are questioning McCarthy and like the preparation. So I think that downward spiral of the Cowboys are just going to continue to fall. Yeah, they uh, the big the thing. It's funny. Another thing that that uh, DP said today was he proposed that, and obviously this is just a, he was kind of just throwing it out there. A team that wins a division with a losing record should not make the playoffs, and that playoff spot should be given to the next wild card team. It's interesting. It is because you're going to reward a Cowboys team that is so bad, but gets in with a seven and nine or six. It'll probably be six and 10 at this point. Like, are you really going to reward them for that? And they host a playoff game. Yeah. Like we've seen it before with like the, the NFC West, like a decade ago the Seahawks were getting in with Hasselback as a seven and nine and they weren't really like, it was the same thing. Now this time around, there's so much talent that you're going to have teams that are going to be nine and seven or even 10 and six missing the playoffs because there's just so it's so top heavy. And then you just have the worst of the worst. And that NFC East is just so awful that you're going to give one of them a playoff spot. That, that's a debate for another day. But hey, it's fun. We're back. We are back. It was, it was fun. It certainly was. Well, my friend, same time next week. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs>